I'm Lauren Weymouth, your All About Blockchain host, and I champion the University Blockchain Research Initiative at Ripple. Today, we're talking about blockchain and cryptocurrency education in the traditional sense. It often lights the fire to academics building use cases. Now, some of the most recognized universities in the world have incorporated blockchain and crypto studies into their academic programs. At least a third of the 50 most prestigious universities in the world include studies on crypto technology and digital currencies. And Coinbase serves up a regular report that lists the leaders in blockchain crypto education. This education opens up infinite field of new employment opportunities in the industry. And this industry is becoming so important that not only are universities discussing chapters within courses on blockchain and crypto to expand knowledge about the network and meet the growing demand for workforce specials, but global universities are even promoting higher level studies like entire master's programs. And to the new generation, increasingly seeing fragmentation across the financial system as a global problem that needs to be solved, the idea that you can't easily send various currencies around the world online is really bizarre. It's a bizarre limitation. Student interest in crypto and blockchain is on the rise. It doubled between 2018 and 2019, and 41 of the top 50 universities have student-run blockchain clubs. Students want to learn how it's going to benefit people all over the world. They see the opportunity to shape the field and become a leader, whether building blockchain-based internet or understanding cutting-edge supply chains. It's a very cross-functional discipline, generally between schools of engineering, business, and law. But we've also seen other departments get involved, as you've heard on this podcast, like the Spencer Art Museum at University of Kansas and the Weitzman School of Design at UPenn. Ariel Zetland-Jones is an associate professor of economics at the Tepper School of Business at Carnegie Mellon University. He's been active in publishing research and teaching courses on blockchain and is here to discuss one popular course he runs, Developing Blockchain Use Cases. Ariel, welcome to All About Blockchain. Hi, Lauren. Thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast today. So how long have you been a professor at CMU? So I joined CMU in 2012 uh, as an assistant professor of economics, and I've been there since. We've really started incorporating blockchain into our education since about 2018. And as a professor of economics, when did you start to notice blockchain? Uh, honestly, I was a bit late, probably around 2016, 17. You know, I have colleagues in computer science who are in there in 2010, 2011. Uh, and they like to bring up how early they were. But it just became a fascinating area for me. So my research interests are in understanding uh, how financial markets work, how information and technology shapes financial markets. And in 2015 and 16, it just became unavoidable that this, this new technology was disrupting financial markets. And I wanted to learn more about how it works and what impact it might have. So how is blockchain education overall at Carnegie Mellon? So you know, we have a breadth of courses in blockchain. Whether it's foundations of blockchain and cryptocurrency as an application layer, or if it's understanding the cryptography and cryptographic tools and methods that, that help blockchain function across computer science, whether it's understanding fintech more broadly, say in the business school, we've been innovating a lot of different courses uh, across the university. And you're in the business school, so for non-computer majors, how do they go about learning uses of blockchain? So... Our main course in the business school on, on blockchain is it's applications through a few of our different classes. So, you know, even I teach one of the largest lectures in the business school, Principles of Macroeconomics. And when you talk about monetary economics at a principles level, you have to talk about this new form of money that has emerged, cryptocurrency. And so we try to give them a taste throughout a lot of our different courses. But then again, we're developing more advanced electives to try to really get students to the frontier of what blockchain is and prepare them if they're interested in understanding this space. Out of curiosity, how do you talk about crypto and money in your general macroeconomics class? 
this is a, a really fun topic to talk to students about because you know, economists for a long time have had this idea that money is memory. So the physical tokens, the dollar bills that we conventionally use to, as money, you know, to own a dollar bill is a representation of your contributions to society in the past. And the problem, right, I've given something of value to someone in the past and they gave me a dollar in exchange and now I have that, assuming I haven't stolen it. If we could just keep a perfect record of all of my past contributions to society, net of my debits, I wouldn't need the physical token. But economists always said that record-keeping device technology doesn't exist, so we use money. This is one way to understand the emergence of physical tokens as money. And from my perspective, as a you know, macroeconomist, what makes blockchain so fascinating to study is it says, wait a minute, this technology does exist. We can keep this perfect record. Uh, and we don't even need a central counterparty to maintain that, that ledger for us. We can keep it ourselves in a decentralized way. So that's how I try to explain what it means to own a unit of cryptocurrency. It means to own in a ledger a representation of your contributions to society. And in that sense, it seems quite important for even our first-year students at Carnegie Mellon to appreciate this idea that records can create social value in this way by storing this information. All right, I just got goosebumps. I actually felt the future of money right there. Okay, and you rolled out, I think, to two cohorts maybe, uh, developing blockchain use cases. Tell us about how that course came about and who takes it. So that's a great question. In 2018, we first rolled out this course, Developing Blockchain Use Cases. And it came from, from an idea on campus across our faculty collaborators, which was, you know, Carnegie Mellon is one of these technology frontier universities. We should have a cryptocurrency on campus, a way to learn and study cryptocurrency and blockchain in a, in a lab setting, if you will. And so the question we had as faculty was, if we established a cryptocurrency on campus that only, say, students and, and faculty could participate with, what would be the use case for this? What, what value would students and faculty perhaps derive from having a cryptocurrency, a CMU coin, if you will? And since the main users and miners or validators we might expect would be students, we didn't think it made sense for us to develop a top-down approach. We thought, we want students to tell us where would they see value in having a new currency or a new distributed ledger technology to be, to be deployed on campus? And so the idea of the class was that. How do we establish a course where we can ask students how would a cryptocurrency improve their lives day to day on campus? I love this. It's like a living lab on campus that you get to see firsthand how things evolve. And so what do the students do with the tokens? So, right. So we ask students... If you had a token, what are the economic activities or what are the informational frictions that prevent you from accomplishing kind of certain actions you want on campus? And if you can figure that out, then we can establish a marketplace using blockchain and crypto that would let you accomplish that. Right? So we're really asking them deeply, what do you feel limited in your ability to do on campus? And that sparks student interest in, I have some ideas of activities I want to undertake, and I think perhaps blockchain is a solution that will let me achieve this. So instead of redeeming for coffee or other trivial things, they're actually looking to create some sustaining value out of it. That's exactly right. So the hope was to create a living lab, some underlying value behind this currency that could be self-sustaining. All right. So I'm excited to hear. What was the response from the students when you rolled out this course? So we've deployed the course twice. Uh, it was a seven-week course focusing on theory of 
why blockchain creates value for society all the way to, through to practice. So create, you know, some live demos. Uh, we use Solidity building on, you know, an Ethereum test network, but trying to get students both from theory to practice. And over our two cohorts, we've averaged about 30 to 40 students across the two times we've run it. And what's amazing about this is our students have come from the business school. They've come from the, uh, the Heinz College of Information Systems. They've come from our computer science department. They've come from our engineering department. And they've come from undergraduate and master's level. So we had just a really wide array of student interest in this course to try to help innovate and contribute to blockchain on campus. It's like a perfect mix of collaborators. So normally on this podcast, we dive deep into one particular use case in one particular sector. but. Being that you've had exposure to all different types of proposals of what can be done on blockchain, maybe you can share with us your top projects that have been presented. Sure, I'd be happy to. Let me start with just describing a few of the projects, and we can do a deep dive on any one or two of them. So I think among the projects that students developed, one is perhaps uh, for an audience that's very into blockchain, they probably heard this concept before. One was creating a form of a prediction market on campus. And so at Carnegie Mellon, a lot of, especially our undergrads, uh, take enormous course overloads. They take lots and lots of courses more than they're required. And they're very worried about how they're performing relative to their peers. And so they want more information more quickly than perhaps their faculty are willing to give them. And so they wanted to create a prediction market for you know, averages on exams in their course. And so the idea was to create a smart contracting platform you would need CMU coins to access the platform and learn information from this platform, but it would be a basic prediction market where any student could propose a question. What is the, is the average on our midterm going in this class going to be above an 85 or below an 85? And the outcome of the prediction market would reveal some wisdom of the crowd and the value of this. And we've seen potential in, in actual industry applications of these types of decentralized prediction markets. Another big proposal that, that we thought was very exciting, but broader impact, uh, more potentially disruptive, was to rethink how student loans work. So we had a set of students who believed this market for student loans wasn't functioning as well as it could have. And one of the impediments they saw to this was that information, namely how students are performing in their classes on their transcript, might be important for understanding kind of students' ability to repay their loans after graduation. And so these students had in mind a way to use a distributed ledger to bring lenders, students, and universities together to share this information to improve the market for student loans. Uh, there are lots of interesting ethical, moral, economic questions that come in when you start thinking about that. But hopefully our audience can see how a blockchain that can bring these very disparate parties together and share information could at least create some economic value for everyone. Well, I love the campus predictive market that you talked about. I mean, I can see myself wanting to get student info opinions. Yes, no. Should I take this course? Will this be an easy A? Is this something that will make a difference for my resume later? But it sounds like the bundling student loans on blockchain was a more thought-provoking project, and I'd love to go deeper into that. Maybe you can discuss a little bit about the moral ethical issues first before diving into the technical components of it. Especially in today's student environment, um, where you know, students are already putting enormous pressures on themselves uh, in terms of their performance and worried about their future career outcomes based on every single grade. You can imagine the, just from a, from a mental health standpoint, the concern of linking the terms of your student loan to every course performance outcome, right? If you get a B, suddenly your interest rate goes up. 
that that sounds very kind of morally questionable of whether we want to impose this on our students. And so you can see a lot of reluctance, especially on the part of perhaps administrators, to want to incorporate that kind of information. So I'm wondering if we just look at grades as a metric, if that's completely fair or creates, you know, unwanted biases in the system. You know, there could be a student that doesn't have any other responsibilities other than just focusing on their homework and their their quizzes, tests, their, their schoolwork, and someone else that might have to hold down a job, they might be caring for an elderly parent, they might have other responsibilities that they have to divide their time with. There's an important point if you think about using just grades to make inferences about, you know, students' ability to repay loans, student loans later on. On the one hand, when we look, I'm going to be an economist here. On the one hand, when we look at uh, credit markets, lenders are already using this information to decide what kinds of credit limits to give you on credit cards. Around universities on campus, lenders are asking students to fill out survey questionnaires that ask questions like, you know, you have homework due on Friday. Do you start it on Monday or on Thursday night? Because it turns out the students who start on Monday are more likely to submit their payments on time than the students who start on Thursday night. And so we do think grades are in part correlated with this information, so it could be useful. The other hand is you worry, are you confounding some of this information? So are you creating implicit bias in the types of lending decisions you make if you just incorporate grade information into how you make these terms? Which leads to a deeper question of what information should be on your blockchain if you want to link terms of student loans to outcomes for students? Should you incorporate additional jobs? Should you incorporate family circumstance? Do you need to incorporate this from a lending perspective or not? And that's a very deep question of what's the right way to do this, uh, which in some ways seems like a policy question. But then it amounts to a specific uh, distributed ledger question of what information do you need to encode? Well, also, if repayment was the major target, someone could take all really easy A courses, maybe if they use that other. Uh, predictive market to find out what EZA courses there are, but they could take all EZA courses that results in maybe a job that doesn't, they don't earn as much money as someone that took really hard, deeper, higher level courses, didn't get as good grades, but got a bigger, higher paying job when they got out. How do you factor that in? As a faculty, this is one of the biggest stresses we have, which is how do you offer a challenging course that rewards students and try to persuade them not to worry so much about the grade? Right, that the important aspect is what they're learning, not so much the grade. And it's, you know, in interacting with students year after year, we see this trend of big concerns about grades, which is a reason I might worry about creating a student loan program like this, because then it just puts more pressure on the grades. So in addition to the mental health, it distracts students from what they're here to do, which is to really learn to be, you know, the big thinkers of their generation, uh, not just to get A's. So there's a tension here. Um, Trying to balance that with the economic improvements in the market is a a deep, interesting question. From a pure economics perspective, of course, this makes perfect sense, right? That lenders, given access to more information about their students' capabilities, can make better predictions about their ability to repay their loans, and so they can offer better terms. In some sense, that could improve for a majority of students that could, say, reduce the cost of their student loans overall based on their performance. So again, I see economic benefits here at potentially uh, perhaps non-economic costs that we might worry about. Yeah, we could hear the pros and cons, right? Like lenders could create better products, but students are also sharing more information with creditors. It's probably privacy issues along those lines. 
And then technically, like there's got to be cryptographic aspects of this program. Um, how is it created? So that's also a great question. And it's, it's a point I want to emphasize that what was so much fun about teaching this class is I got to teach it alongside of a professor of information systems and a professor of computer science whose expertise is in cryptography. And why that's fun is because, you know, as an economist, it's easy for me to talk about the pros and cons of improving lending markets with more information. But when you think about, can you have a public ledger with student grades? Uh, that's a challenge. And so how do we encrypt student grades in a meaningful fashion and yet have them be accessible to lenders when they need that information? Also, who is verifying student grades? So, you know, who is allowed to be an oracle, if you will, on this blockchain? Uh, these are all important, interesting questions that arise when you start thinking through the logic of building out a platform like this. And you know what I'm wondering? Did you run any of these courses during the last 18 months in the midst of the pandemic? The short answer is yes. We ran the second time we deployed the course. We actually deployed it virtually. So we were all on Zoom. Uh, and we had you know, almost 50 students uh, across campus taking this course on Zoom with three of us faculty. Um, so I was going to ask, how did you pivot the activities differently because you were you know, remote? And it sounds like it was all offered on Zoom. But then how did you get deep into the activities? The fortunate thing is, you know, from theory of lecture to practice, building out solidity code, smart contract code yourself, um, all of this can be done at home in your computer. The biggest challenge in the pivot was how to create kind of useful group partnerships, how to bring students together, especially students from across these different areas of the school, to kind of find synergies in their thought leadership, if you will. And so that was the tricky part of how do you create groups in a remote setting when everyone's home uh, by themselves. But once we had done that, I think the course worked really well. We were able to get students to present virtually to the rest of the class, to build out their, their demos and show how that would work. Back to the, the financial aid lender product that they came up with. Can we know? Is it, is it public information? Did these students get an A on that project? Uh, yes, the students got an <laughs> A on the project. One of the reasons, of course, besides all of their hard work, is exactly how much they had thought through the breadth of issues that come up here, right? So it's simple to say, let's bring this information to bear in the student loan market. That could be an improvement. It's more complicated to say, you know, how do we bring universities, lenders, and students together? How do we share this information in a privacy-respecting way? Um, how do we encode the information in a way lenders can believe that students aren't making up their own grades? So there, there are lots of interesting little aspects of this that have to be thought through once you propose the idea. And so one of the reasons the students did so well was because they thought through all of these different concepts. And was that team a business school team or were they undergraduates, master's students? That team was master's students in our information systems management program at Heinz College. Oh, that's great. So more depth of knowledge, but interesting that they had a lot of business-minded thoughts to round out tech part of it. So will there be a follow-up course to this in the future? So it's, we are tentatively planning to deploy the course again this spring. So we've got the faculty on board and it's a matter of just, you know, because it's a, a project course, if you will, it's just making sure it fits into the academic schedule in a meaningful way. Um, but we are hoping to deploy it because we're still kind of trying to crowdsource ideas where we could generate meaningful and socially valuable disruption on campus, if you will. And it's such a great way to nudge students to be more disruptive. Not only do they get to think about how to be an entrepreneur and how to create zero from something from scratch, but then they also get to put on their resume that they were working on real world problems. And 
What I also love about the course is in some ways we're training them to be product managers for blockchain, which is it is not blockchain can reinvent the world, pie in the sky. It's the answer to everything, right? The students come up with a concrete proposal. We think blockchain can yield improvements here. And then they're able to communicate because in, in the seven weeks of the course, we can teach them theory to practice. They can communicate what are the actual steps you would need to accomplish to develop a working demo that would show you how it might work and where the problems might arise as you start deploying it. So it's that merger from theory to practice that I think is really quite fascinating here. And it's like DLT improvements on current friction in society. Right. So what else do you want to say about blockchain education? What has really worked in your course or what could be improved on it? I think what works really well about the course is when they're invested in their own ideas, they're that much more motivated to try to develop those ideas and follow them to the end. What's tricky sometimes, especially when you have a course with no pre-requirements, so any student on campus can sign up, and then you ask them to innovate a new disruptive idea, is they might think a little small, so to speak. We've had one, one project say, I need to reallocate furniture at the end of the year, right? As students graduate, they want to give furniture, secondhand furniture onto younger students. While you can think through the logic of that, it's, it's hard to get excited as this is the next big idea behind a new cryptocurrency, a new economic market that doesn't function well on campus. So trying to push students to think outside the box and think big, I think is the big challenge. How do we get them to think about, you know, very thought-provoking, potentially challenging ideas like, you know, disrupting student loan markets with more information um, and be willing to try to tackle those problems. Mm. That makes sense. So you mentioned that there's no prereq for this course and there's students from different disciplines and different levels of their education. How are they mixing? Or are there certain properties that some students are bringing in to help others? Is there mentorship? I'd love to hear a little bit more about those relationships created. Well, I think the fascinating thing about teaching blockchain, given how early on we still are in the development of this technology, is you know, there is no formal curriculum yet, right? So Lauren, you mentioned at the outset that several universities are developing master's education in blockchain now, and we're getting there uh, as researchers, but it's not really there yet. So it's not even clear what a prereq would be. As an educator, it's a great place to start because it forces you to think about how to communicate what blockchain is, how it works, and why it might be useful to people of all backgrounds, which is something we all need to do more of, I think, as, as people interested in this industry. And then on the student side, it's just a willingness to innovate and, and be an entrepreneur and have an idea. And so, you know, you don't necessarily need to be deep down in the weeds of cryptography to come up with an idea of how blockchain could improve some, some activities on campus. You just need to be open-minded. And, and having, as we're, we all are aware now, that having a very diverse set of perspectives uh, is an important aspect to problem solving. And so we are seeing that in the diversity of views students are bringing in terms of which markets do they think are failing them that they want to improve upon. So interesting. I wish I could go back and take your course. <laughs> Starting in mid-March, Lauren. <laughs> okay. And for some of the projects that come out of it that seem to be more advanced, do the students then want to take it to market? Do they, does it lead to further conversations about how they can continue the ideas? So some of these for sure have led to further conversations. You know, we've had follow-up internships with other undergraduates kind of keep pursuing some of these ideas with some of our other faculty. We try to have group presentations at the end of the, the course to a wide range of faculty interested in this area. And so that creates ideas for people to pursue. 
Uh, I think that's the ultimate outcome. To date, we have not had students pursue these on their own, um, but it's things we continue to follow up on as faculty working in this area. And who do the students present to? Is it a board of teachers? Do you bring in the blockchain club or outside industry players? So we've had students from our blockchain club uh, participate. We've had faculty from across the university listen in based on their interests. Uh, We've had deans of some of the colleges listen in. Uh, And we've had external, uh, you know, certainly alumni who've gone on into blockchain industry have sat in on some of the presentations as well. So they've gotten to meet and present to a mix of different folks. That's amazing that you keep the network alive between the alumni and the current students in blockchain. What types of companies do the interns go work at that wanted to continue learning about blockchain? I know more about the business side of students, uh, where our students have gone on. A lot of them are actually going into kind of traditional finance, uh, but they have blockchain expertise. And so they're, you know, they're being put in charge of how do we make investments in the blockchain space? And then they're reaching back out to ask questions and, and follow up. We have a few going into some startups. Uh, a, you know, a couple of our students have gone on to Coinbase. So they're venturing out into these different areas. That's awesome. Ariel, is there anything I haven't asked you that you'd like to discuss or like our listeners to know about? I would just reiterate what we've been saying a little bit, which is, A lot of what we read sometimes about blockchain is it's the answer to everything. And what we really try to teach students is what is the benefit of using a blockchain to resolve some problem over, say, some legacy technology? And to understand that, you have to think deeply about what are the frictions that impede what you're trying to accomplish and why might a distributed ledger technology be an improved solution over what might exist out there. And so taking this more nuanced perspective, I think is an important aspect of the future of blockchain education. We need, we need to train students and business leaders ultimately who can think with that perspective. And we're seeing that already in industry, but we're trying to also communicate that and kind of sort through the hype uh, so our students can enter this world with, with that kind of deep knowledge as they go out into it. And do you see that light bulb go off where the student realizes, oh, we're not just building something on blockchain for blockchain's sake. We need to actually add value. What value is that going to bring? What's the cost benefit of using digital ledger technology? We definitely do see that light bulb, especially among, I would say, our most enthusiastic blockchain students. The ones who come in knowing all of the buzzwords that appear in every white paper they read on the internet, they come in ready to tell me those buzzwords. And then you ask them to dive deep into their application and say, forget the buzzwords, tell me the friction that you're trying to resolve. And, and you see the light bulb go off to say, oh, that's where the value in my application is coming. Um, and so trying to teach them how to get there and pass the buzzwords, I think, is really important, uh, certainly as an academic, to kind of convey that to people very excited about the space. We often talk about the benefits of blockchain. Are you finding certain trends in the answers that your students are coming up with to solve certain frictions and certain challenges in society? We do see trends in how the students approach the problem. And part of this is most likely pedagogical, of how we teach them to look for problems blockchain can solve. And and the way we try to approach this is usually from a a market's perspective. So I'm trying to ask students, is there a market you see on campus that's not performing or functioning as well as you would like it to work? The advantage of blockchain is you create all of the data in the marketplace in one technological solution. The first answer every student wants to give me every time we've run the class is, At the end of the semester, I have excess meals on my card that I paid for that I'd like to sell, but I have to be next to someone to swipe my card every time we do it. 
And that's not a functioning market. I'd love to create a new marketplace, say, using a blockchain where we could trade meals. For administrative reasons, I tell them at the start of class, that's not going to fly for our class because you know, there are frictions in the university that do not allow them or do not allow us to create this market, that the university, for whatever reason, has chosen not to permit this market to exist in a meaningful way. But that's a clear application where there's an economic market that's missing for students and a blockchain by merging information with uh, tokens that can be traded provides a solution. The predictive markets we talk about are related to that as they're creating a market for information that otherwise does not exist. The student loan market is another example of that, where we're trying to create a market that incorporates additional information, for better or worse, to change how these markets function. So the overarching view is typically that perspective, right? What market is missing or could be improved upon using this information to allow for a better allocation of resources? And does there happen to be certain properties of the blockchain that students tend to go after? Partially because we have computer science faculty at the frontier of zero-knowledge proofs. They get students really excited by advanced cryptographic techniques. So they like to think about, especially our computer science students, how to really bring new privacy techniques uh, onto these public ledgers. I really liked how you gave the example of the students wanting to sell the extra money on their food cards. But here's an example of innovation being thwarted by clear regulations. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad that you're teaching this course and you're doing the research that you're doing because without it, companies like mine, like Ripple, wouldn't be able to hire the future of workers, right? You're really creating these new minds and giving them the skills that they need to come out in the field and hopefully be inspired to move into this sector. Great. Thanks, Lauren. Ariel, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And listeners, if you have any ideas for future episodes, please write me at ubri at ripple.com. 